0: Welcome to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. I'm Scott Ramage and I'm joined today with my co-host Josh Price. Hello. Hello. Hey, today we have the pleasure of talking with Jeff Smith. Jeff has been married nine years and has four kids under the age of seven. Jeff was a Special Operations 2nd Ranger Battalion, two-brain business. Tinker Mastermind owns Cannon Fitness and Performance in the Houston area and has been involved in real estate for 20 years. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Hey,
1: thanks, guys. Glad to be on. How are you guys?
0: Doing excellent.
1: Yep, doing great.
0: Right on. So, Jeff, I, I, have to, um, I have to ask right away, uh, what is it like having four kids under the age of seven? Chaos. chaos. Yeah,
1: yeah it really, it started at three kids. Three kids was like peak chaos, so I'm a big believer that you could add as many as you want after three, and uh, it's not going to change how chaotic your life is.
0: I think the interesting thing is a lot of people that have a lot of kids um, tend to have like an older one before they go into the multiples. They kind of have like a built-in babysitter. I don't think you have that going for you yet.
1: No, no, um, we don't. But so yes, went full on crazy. <laughs> yeah, two, two year gaps between all of them.
0: Okay, so how many more are you guys going to have? Zero. Zero. You're done. Have you okay. had this conversation? Has there been a like? More? I want more. Either of you guys?
1: Well, w- yes. We already negotiated that out. It's 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 been a plan for a long time. I wanted six. She wanted two. We settled on four. The real clincher was uh, once we finally had four, we realized that we had to buy a, a new suburban. And if you have more than four kids, you can no longer even fit in a Suburban. So it was going to severely limit uh, our vehicle choices and options if we went any further.
0: So let me get this straight. Your, your decision not to have more kids was basically you didn't want to step into the nerd factor of a 15-passenger van.
1: Well, that <laughs> and also... Yes. Well, potentially, yes. But... Uh, <laughs> Mainly, it was uh, thinking about RVing because we are we have this giant plan that we're going to RV all over the country. And uh, so if you're limited in vehicle choices, then you're not going to pull an RV with a Sprinter van. And we already have to special order a truck to have enough seats for everybody. So,
0: yeah, that's a... That's a really cool goal. Is there a timeline for you guys that you're kind of hoping shooting for to be able to do this adventure?
1: Well, funny enough, you should ask, we actually had a deal under contract right as Corona hit and our businesses got shut down. And so I backed out of that. It it ended up, the, the model that we had bought had damage on it. And so they had to keep it 48 hours longer to repair a back gate. Cause we're getting a toy hauler with a fold down deck and they were repairing the back gate when all of that happened. And I just didn't feel right about it. Cause I'm like, we need to hold all our cash right now right? and um, see what happens, how long this is going to last. And so we backed out of that deal, but now that we're back open and things are going and it wasn't as bad or as long as we had anticipated, we're probably going to, Go back and get that exact same one in the next month.
0: Maybe you'll have some more negotiation due to uh, yeah the lack of sales.
1: Well, they're pretty hot down here, actually, in Texas. They're they're flying right now because everybody's home with their kids and started summer early, essentially. Now so, I I have to say that was some really good Planned Parenthood on your part. <laughs> yeah, there's a dad joke. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so so how big does this thing have to be to accommodate
1: six people i mean four kids well we're starting with just a pull behind um travel trailer and so because we can't get a regular like class c or class a right now because they don't have like the kids are it have to be in car seats and they're the safety measures on the bigger ones are not actually they're not better than cars so my wife is like Okay, we've got to ride in a truck for now with everybody in their car seats, and so we're doing a travel trailer first. Wow!
0: And so, what's your goal with traveling around? Um, I'm guessing within the United States, North America, um, as a family. Is it? Is there some specific goal, or?
1: Well, eventually there is, but I'm I'm just an avid outdoorsman. We do a lot of I, I do adventure races and different types of things. I've got my wife talked into doing the Baton Death March next year in New Mexico. Um she's only agreed to the half so far. We can see I'm I'm seeing about getting her into the full. Um, So we'll we'll pull the R V out there and use it for different races. I'm signed up for the Ragnar run in Austin in October. We've got a team going to that. So eventually the the goal in my mind is to drag everybody to all the national parks before they leave our house.
0: That would be epic. That would be really cool. So, um, first of all, you must be a really good salesman if you're able to get your wife to commit to something with the word hell in it. <laughs> is she pretty active with you?
1: Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. She's definitely very active now. More so now, like, our youngest kid is nine months old now. And so, she's getting a little separation about to wean the baby. And she's back into her routine with fitness and everything. Um, so yeah, she's very active as well. We've been hikers and bikers for years, so.
0: So I would, I would imagine um, that some of our audience is listening and saying, okay, this guy, um, he has four kids, that's not cheap. He uh, is buying some pretty cool toys you know, um, to kind of live out a dream and do some adventures and he owns businesses. How in the world is he making this happen? I want to kind of dig into that a little
1: bit. Well, I was in the corporate world for 18 years, Uh, worked at a fortune 50 company in IT and various roles. Um, and It was never real. I was not passionate about anything with regards to that. So once I stepped away from that, I had been I had been standing up businesses and building businesses and accumulating real estate and things like that throughout the years, um, and doing side stuff, side businesses and things like that the whole time. And basically, like I'm huge into continuing education and then like lifestyle engineering. So I I usually analyze my opportunities on a high level at how they will. Inhibit my lifestyle more than anything, more than money, more than any other decision. Like that's my main driver. Is like, first of all, will I be passionate about doing this two years from now? And then second of all, is it going to interfere with any of the opportunities for creating experiences that I'm passionate about?
0: Wow, that's really cool. So this lifestyle engineering, um, basically making decisions by maybe what your vision or or family mission is or life mission, kind of is that kind of what what this is all about. Like I have an end goal or I have a, I have a, I have goals in mind and a vision in mind and every decision needs to lead
1: to that. Yes. They need to be in alignment with like leaving behind a financial legacy for my family and also providing the freedom necessary to create the childhood that I want for my children. Yeah.
0: Where does that come from? Where does that stem stem from that? Uh, not just
1: not necessarily the financial legacy, but like, the creating the childhood that you want to create? I, well, my personal upbringing was very chaotic and my, my dad left when I was seven and I haven't seen or spoken to him really in any capacity, um, ever since then. And so, um, so I was raised by a single mother, uh, in not the best environment, I guess. I I mean, I was very fortunate in a lot of ways, but it wasn't the lifestyle that, or it wasn't the upbringing that I wanted my kids to go through. And so like, that's one of the big drivers on why I produce the way I produce. And then also why I free up as much time to be available for them because we live a very unique lifestyle where I'm around them constantly.
0: Yeah, that kind of brings
1: I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, that brings up a question because if you're wanting to travel, um, looking at your bio, you know, you work, you you run a a program for two-prime business, um, you own a a fitness, you know, and performance gym, and you are involved in real estate, which I do want to talk about a little bit. But like, it, I think most people would think that's not that's not freedom. That's like that's three full-time jobs. So kind of address that for us, if you will.
1: Yeah. I mean, it has a lot to do with time management and making sure that you're providing the guidance and leadership for your teams. I mean, with regards to real estate, it's mostly just... I have teams that do all of the work for me. So I mean, it's just... It's investing and it's paying attention to deals. My wife and I scour the back end of the MLS she's she's got a license to be an agent so we have the back end of the MLS and like we look for deals constantly and so most of our stuff is done virtually with regards to everything I'm not in my gym physically um barely ever I've got staff that run I've got a tremendous staff that runs that place and they're they're taking ownership, doing well. Um, we meet weekly on Zoom and work through that. Um, we just utilize pretty much all the online resources that we have at our disposal to create the the freedom that we want. I mean, I own a bunch of real estate down in what's referred to as like the ship channel of Houston. And we'll, we'll load up our entire family and go down and walk a project and then we'll go to Galveston and spend the day at the beach. Yeah. I mean, so like my work is intertwined with our family's way of life. So lifestyle
0: lifestyle engineering actually pertains to the way that you spend your day as well. I mean, I mean, in essence, you've just said that I've designed everything around my family. I can work from wherever.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Even with the brick and mortar business. Because it's like I think a lot of people who own brick and mortar businesses
1: um, equate that to always being present. I, I think that was beaten out of me in the corporate world. So when I opened my gym, I was not a savvy entrepreneur in the service industry. I had to take like my beating in that space, and it took me three, four years to dig out of that hole, making mistakes, making like every mistake in the book. But the one thing that was always like my North star in that business is I was not going to be the face of the business. I was not going to be there nine to five every single day carrying water for that business. And I spent, now it took a substantial investment in staff and learning to make that happen because you have to pay, Full time people to come in and do that type of stuff. So you see a lot of these micro gyms that are built on the backs of like a couple part time coaches. And like that wasn't the model that I was ever creating. I was bringing in people that were bought in to make this their career and trying to take it down that road so that I wasn't tethered to that business.
0: Yeah. It sounds like there's also a lot of, um, simplicity and where there might be complexity like you talked about scouring deals and everything
1: um I'd like you to talk a little bit more about that on the real estate side like you're not looking for every deal you're looking for it sounds like specific things so that that research gets you through that a lot faster yeah i i think that i mean i've talked to you about this josh and then as part of our mastermind our tinker group like the the biggest thing once you reach a certain level of success, and I'm not saying that that I've reached any sort of level of success at all because I'm just getting started in my mind, but it, you you have to peel away all of the noise and busyness and simplify your focus down to actually what's important. And once you once you realize that, that not everything is a fire, it it gives you a ton of freedom and and then you can start setting that expectation with everyone around you and everyone that's on your teams in whatever business or industry you're trying to run like you have to choose what your role is in that business and then you have to show up and provide that consistently on a regular basis and you have to make it crystal clear to everyone around you that that is what you do and that is how you serve that business. And so if you avoid that noise and like, I'm, I'm very protective of it. Like, I, I mean, you know how I live, Josh. Most of the days we're in the pool by two o'clock in the afternoon. And like mm-hmm. it, part of that though, is I get up early five, six in the morning, every single morning. So I can get the stuff done before my kids wake up. So that's part of that lifestyle engineering. I need two hours of heads down work before they get up. And that's the meat of my day. Like, what are the three to five things that are the most important things I can accomplish today to move my businesses or our lives forward? And if I've done those three to five things and I still want to keep going, it's just, it's icing on the cake.
0: Yeah. I, I'm a big proponent of, uh, you know, a morning routine, a a ritual where you really, Get your day started in a way which you're controlling it because I, I I say all the time that if you don't control the way your day is it's going to control you, and it sounds like you've really kind of nailed that down. I want to get back into real estate a little bit, yeah sorry, you um because I think a lot of guys at least I love real estate like I've always kind of had this like okay, when I have that financial freedom and you know my life is in my alignment with my the way I want to engineer that would be something that I would love to do because I think of that residual income that long term cash flow that it can create and I think it's it's made been made sparkly and sexy by TV right yeah. and I think people are thinking flipping homes so tell us a little bit about how you you know your background in real estate and and how you attack this
1: I've done a variety of things first of all I'm in residential real estate meaning Everything from single-family homes to multi-units to small apartments up to larger apartments, and I've done that. That's that's what I've done for 20 years. When I talk about like dabbling, I've never done it full time. We flipped houses in my 20s. I, I had flipped houses just for cash flow um, to go along with my day job, and then from there, when I was 26, I bought a, a little six-unit apartment, and then had a single family rental as well. So we had seven doors at that time. Um, that was really like the flipping and then those, those rentals were really my segue into real estate. We had bought and sold a couple others. Um, and then we kept those properties for about seven years and then sold them. They were in Illinois and we live in Texas now. And so I had taken a break from the time that we liquidated that part of the portfolio until, um, 2018 actually we just, we just got back into it. Uh, because like I said, I was getting my ass kicked at the gym. We were having a bunch of babies and like life was busy. And so I had just hopped back into real estate two years ago. And right now as we talk, we're sitting at 39 units. What we got, what, nine single family homes that we're renting. We've got a triplex that we own in a 29 or a 27 unit um, apartment syndication that I'm, I'm a lead on a general partner in that syndication uh, that we're doing down in Corpus Christi right now. It's a full remodel of 27 units and then we're flipping them into rentals. Um, To answer your question, most people view flipping is In my opinion, what you do if you're in real estate and you need cash flow. So if your full-time job is not producing fast enough, you would go flip a house. But ultimately to build wealth in real estate, it's all about the buy and hold. Because the way you make money in real estate is through appreciation, tax advantages, cash flow on the rental and then debt reduction from paying down the mortgage over time, which is done by through your rental income. And so you have to hold the properties for a period of time to accumulate wealth. And so I learned that pretty early on that you needed to hold on to them. It, actually, I mean, really it was eye opening in 2013 when we sold our properties from Illinois and got the money from those because they had sat and appreciated over time improved and we had cash flow from them the whole time to include the sale and the equity capture on those.
0: So if someone wanted to get into real estate and really kind of get into the cash flow of, of the holding onto it, renting it out, um, but they have very little money, is, is flipping a good idea, like a quick flip,
1: like buy, fix, sell. It's very determined on the market that you're in right now. Um, and so, like, that's tough. I, I wouldn't recommend it unless you can get a deal at like 50%, 60% the after repaired value, because there's generally not enough skin in there to make it worth your time. And cause there's unknowns for everything, you're gonna get hit with things you didn't expect when you go into remodel. So the way I buy properties, I buy I buy distressed properties generally almost every single time. so I'm doing the process of flipping it, but I'm flipping it and keeping it. Mm-hmm. okay, The
0: mindset here is or the thing that I see a lot of are ads and promotions and marketing around events where you go to learn how to flip and um, I don't know if you've seen those but they're I think they're big money for those guys
1: that teach people how to flip yeah because they make it very sexy and most times you lose your ass on it okay those guys are making money on their seminar circuit not on their flipping businesses
0: (laughs) exactly it's my question if it's so great why aren't you still doing it right?
1: right yeah right so the thing about flipping is if you flip more than three houses in any year, you are then considered a broker, which changes your tax burden. And once you get into flipping more than three, you've got to really shift your mindset into scaling. So you need to be doing a huge amount, a huge volume of projects, let's say like 15, 20 going on a month in order to make it worth it because the tax burden on most flips is going to be somewhere between like 45 50 percent once you reach that broker status because it's not just your earned income there's also other IRS limitations to it
0: let me make sure I heard that right 40 to 50 percent after about three flips so,
1: so you can do three like if you and your wife got together and you were and she was a realtor and you just wanted to do it as a hobby right you could do two three a year and and then you would pay your earned income rate on that Mm-hmm. So whatever bracket you fall into, that's the taxes you would pay on that deal. Part of the benefit of buy and hold real estate, though, is most of the time based on taxes, depreciation that you're claiming on your taxes, and the the write-offs that you're going to have through expenses, you're going to have nearly a zero tax burden. You should always have, it, unless you need a new accountant. So, <laughs> Well, that's
0: what I was going to ask. Um... I mean you obviously need to find some people inside of, that have prior knowledge and success in this this arena because I mean if I were just if I were just go to any tax guy or any accountant and say hey I'm doing this my ta- chances of of really capitalizing on it or the the tax breaks are going away quickly I would imagine
1: yeah and I would say that that's a That's a really good point, Scott. Like the biggest thing I would tell you is like the guys that go to these flipping seminars and things like that and think they're going to come out and be successful. It's very difficult to do that because of like the number one thing you have to do in real estate is network and start building a team because everybody is independent contractors in the whole space. Basically, they all run their own businesses. And so you have to find people that you align with that you can add to your team and once you do that you're going to start getting like savvy with regards to rehab prices things like that what what are you spending on an air conditioning unit what can you do so you can just eyeball these properties and these deals now and you can kind of ballpark what you're going to spend in a rehab and that's necessary information because there's The the scope of contractors and things like that involved in the business is all over the place. And so you may go into a property and be like, man, this doesn't really need very much work. And the bid could come back at $50,000 and you're like, you thought it was gonna be five. Then again, if you go and you can deal with shady contractors and things like that, that could give you the bid for five when it's actually going to be 50. And so experience matters, obviously. Um, it's not as sexy as everybody says, obviously, if you're getting into, especially if you start out like doing single family rentals, um, cause you may do one and it may be a good deal and that thing may after CapEx and everything else that you're talking about, capital expenditures hold back on for expenses to the home, just repairs that you're going to have to make buy the water heater, whatever, every seven years. Um, once you hold back for that, you may cash flow $400, right? So it's not life changing money. In some markets, you won't cash flow anything. People are buying rentals that are, are doing like $50. Like if you read a lot of bigger pockets website, that's like a, a real estate education website, yes. they want their deals to make $100 cash per door to make them work. And that's it. So when you do your reverse engineering of like where you want your lifestyle to be at, because I I do a lot of formulas with regards to like, what are our fixed housing costs? And like, I try to reach those freedom quotients, like stair-step them. Meaning like if it's $5,000 for our house or, and our fixed costs, like that's the number I try to hit first. Then Maybe lifestyle is another twenty five hundred bucks. Okay, like once I've reached that, it's another benchmark for us. Until eventually, you stair step your way up to where you've got more money to support your lifestyle than you need. Then it all piles back into just reinvesting because at, the, at that point, as you stair step up to those benchmarks, you're still working for a living, and so you're you're contributing income to the pot of money, right? So when I say that, if you're doing the $100 a door thing and you need $5,000, it tells you the math on how far you need to get.
0: This, it seems to all be circling back to something you said earlier, and that was um, lifestyle engineering. Um, it's It seems to me that everything you do is calculated. I mean, it, it, I, I think... Maybe not everything, but you're very. Um, it sounds like okay. I'm calculating what this is going to do ahead of time. Um, I think a lot of people don't do that. What is your? Have you helped other people kind of start to work through like a lifestyle engineering? Have you have you mentored folks through that, or what kind of advice do you give guys who kind of just always seem to be knee jerk to what's going on and dive into something and then and then adjust accordingly as things don't go the way they planned. I,
1: we cover a lot of that stuff in, in our Tinker Mastermind program. And yes, I've, I've taught people how to do it. Um, I'm, I'm very deliberate about planning. It's like ingrained in our family that we sit down and do goal setting. We do after action reviews, quarterly reviews, checking in in all the facets of life. Like where are you at in your family? Like, are you, are you, am I being the dad I want to be? Am I being the husband I want to be with my wife? And it, am I showing up for my friends, maintaining my other relationships? How's my fitness? How's, how's our finances? I mean, finances are the easiest thing for me. Cause I geek out on them. I've got, I'm a, I'm a spreadsheet guy. I, I love looking at money and watching it move. And I think if you pay attention to things like that, it can't help but move. And so when we do our planning, like my wife and I will do annual planning. Like, what do you want? And so we'll build out deliberate things that we're going to that year. And you just point at them and more times than not, it happens. So it's just about like, there's, I don't even know what the quote is, but there's something about like plan your life or your life will just happen to you. Yeah. Deliberately plan your, (laughs) what you want out of life, or you're going to get Someone else's plan. I, I I believe in that. I do too. I I really
0: love that you brought up like what kind of father and what kind of husband you want to be. Um, you know, those are things I probably learned later in life, and I, I've told the stories. And I I believe it's extremely important to be ex- very planned and do very intentional actions to. To continually work on your daily, your daily things that you do with your kids, and the daily actions you take with your wife, and the ongoing learning that goes in there. Now, um, earlier you said you, you from seven on you really didn't have your dad in the picture, right? How did that? Is that a big influence of your intentionality about fatherhood and and being a husband?
1: It's a big influence about it. I'll tell you. I mean, we've been married nine years now. Ten this is our tenth year. Um, I didn't know. Any, I didn't know. I didn't know shit about being married. And like the the thing that I realized just recently, a couple years ago, and and my wife and I had a lot of deep conversations about it was that like, I'm working at all these other areas of my life. I'm I'm growing, I'm improving, I'm learning in all these other areas of my life, except I wasn't in my marriage. Like I wasn't feeding it and trying to become better. I, I just thought, oh, I got married to the woman that I wanted to be married to. This is awesome. And then, like, just set it and forget it. And like, okay, now I'm going to focus on being a dad. And like, I worked at that more so than like my marriage, ironically. Um, but all, all of those facets of your life need work and education and growth. And so, like, when I talk about circling back to everything, like on a quarterly basis, like, how are you doing? And like, how am I? How am I performing in that area of life, if you will? Um, and so, like, now i'm I'm reading I'm reading books about relationships uh, sociology stuff things like that not not sociology I'm sorry it's like psychology and communication books things like that um and they they just have a different outlook on our relationship and like it, it's improved our communication immensely like we give each other much more grace than we used to so I mean as far as like how my dad's like I guess the only circling back to not having a father influence was like, I knew what I didn't want. And so, like, then I had to work my way backwards from that, which was like a, a plethora of options. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, you could be a husband and father and like not put any work into it, but like you're still physically here. So that's better than what you didn't want. And so, like, I, I'm just, there's been a lot of growth and a lot of learning in that department for sure.
0: Well, I think you just mentioned a really cool fact is, uh, or a a really cool um, point is that even by improving a tiny bit, you're doing better. And I don't think as men we're called or, or we're not supposed to be just a little bit better. Uh, I hear a lot of dads say, well, you know, to quote you, my dad was a dad. He, he, he didn't, pay attention to me. He was always traveling or he, he left, he's gone. And, and then they're like, yeah, well, I didn't have it that way. It's this mentality of like, I didn't have it. My kids are lucky to get what they get. Um, you've run, I mean, it seems like you've ran in the absolute, complete opposite direction. Like I'm going to overcorrect this and I'm going to be the best dad. Absolutely possible. The best husband, absolutely possible. Um, why do you think there's a difference in that And that's a pretty deep question, but, um, I mean, there's a
1: big chasm there. I I think it's just humility and understanding that I'm a flawed human being and that like, I I've got things to learn about all those aspects of life. Like, I don't know how to communicate with my kids. They're, I've got a five-year-old girl. I don't know how to talk to her. Like, so like it's, it's a learning curve, right? And, and you said, like, I, I, I'm not a perfect husband. I'm not a perfect father. I mean, like, I'm just like trying to do better every day. And, and, and that's what you talk about. And and I apply that same thing to my business. Like if, if I, I think it's necessary to move forward every single day. And you talk about men And like when they get stuck in neutral and they start accepting mediocrity in all these different areas of their lives, whether it be their, their career or their relationship or their body, like all of it, like once they start accepting that they're letting themselves down and it's running their potential down because it's difficult to pull yourself out of that hole unless you're constantly focusing on winning every single day. Mm -hmm. And of course, we're not going to win every day, but you want to win more than you lose.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was just listening to Kevin Hart talk today and he's like, man, failure is just a part of it. It's a part of growing. And if you can't embrace that, then you're screwed up. Like if you can't embrace and acknowledge your screw ups, like you're never going to get better. And it's a big point. And another thing that I've heard before, and I love this story because it really resonates and I'm 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 speaking to every man here because we've all had this experience where you're in a, you have to use the restroom in a public restroom and you, you don't have a choice. I mean, you're like at that point, and you go in and you are hit with a wall of the worst stench. Stay with me here. I, I got a point. So you walk in, and you're like, I can't do this, but I don't have a choice, right? It's it's bad. And the guy, the as you're walking in, there's a guy washing his hands and acting like there's it doesn't smell at all. And you're like, How did he do this? Like, what is wrong with him? Well as he's in there doing his business over time, he's you know taking his time, he's getting done, he's washing his hands, and he knows another guy that walks in and he's just like, Oh, what in the world? You know, and he's probably thinking the same thing. What like you must be the one that created this stink because you're here and you're you're enduring it. Well, that's what happens in life is we ha- we get into these horrible situations. We have this crappy mode of operation. We're comfortable where we're at, and we're not looking around and taking a deep breath and going, whoa i don't want to be here we get comfortable with the stench right and so uh, i think there's a, you got to step out look at the situation evaluate it and and change it and 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 josh and i talk about this a lot there's comfort and then on the other end is growth and yep. and and growth is moving away from comfort and and we can't sit like you said mediocrity we can't sit in a in a in a lifestyle of mediocrity and, and I, I'm good, I'm, I like where I'm at. And I, I think that's a big disservice that a lot of men or a lot of people in general for their families, they're just good with uh, status quo.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it, it goes back to mortality for me always. Like I've, I've got one shot at this and I don't know how long it's gonna be. And so you better live every single day making progress or trying like otherwise you're just accepting that you haven't lived your full potential and most people are just scared to take the risks yeah. that will lead them out of those holes and and so for fear they stay stuck in the day to day but they 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 stay where they know cuz that's not scary and change and growth all happen Doors that are closed and you have to kick down the door.
0: What's even more crazy is a lot of times those folks that um, stay where they're at because they have that fear of failure. They idolize people. I mean, this is a generalization, but they idolize people on TV or a a comedian or famous actor or great podcaster or whatever they're listening to or engaging in. And if they were to sit down and talk with that particular person, say, "What do I need to do to be like you?" They'd say, "Start doing things, and don't worry about failing." I mean, have you ever listened to a a a really famous or very successful person say, "Well, I was afraid to fail, so I didn't start." It's that it's like the absolute opposite, and I think that's the same for parenting and for being a good husband. You have to start working on it every single day.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree because you don't. You just have to jump, right? Yeah. Basically what you have to do. Like I'm afraid of heights and I was in special operations and we jumped out of anything and everything that you can imagine. And so the first time you hit the door and look down, like that's frightening. Like spending $100,000 on a a rehab is not at this point. Like, (laughs) I, I mean, you just, you make money. We have opportunities to make more money. I know this episode was supposed to be about real estate. I haven't talked about it nearly enough. I'm sorry.
0: Um, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by everything we talked about. So it's all good.
1: I'm just passionate about people ensuring that they're living the life that they want to live. And, and like making sure that they're thinking about deliberately, like you t- we talked about planning earlier. I want them to deliberately think about the hard questions about what they want out of life and not just go through the motions. And that's where like financial legacy and things like that are incredibly important. And it might like your legacy might be different than my legacy. You might want a hundred million dollars and I might want a hundred thousand dollars. Like it's okay, but all of it's okay. As long as you're thinking about it, planning it and then heading for your targets. Absolutely. So
0: Um maybe there's a listener out here who's saying, okay, Jeff, uh, I want to get into I I want this real estate thing. What's your suggestion for them? What's a great starting place? Because it's really overwhelming and there's a lot of bad resources out there.
1: Yeah. Um, like I said, I mean, Bigger Pockets is a is a blog website that they post a lot of content on different things. I like them for starters because They've got very, they cover the gamut. I mean, they, they do big apartment syndications, but they also talk about how to like buy your first single family rental with $5,000 cash or whatever. And like, so there's some good education out there. Um, Anybody can send me questions if they want to contact me. I'm happy to talk about it. I like geeking out on this stuff all the time. Um, But it's, Real estate's not for everyone either. I mean, like if you, know, if you know the stock market and day trading or whatever your passion is, like I'm just huge into saving money. Like you need to be putting it away and thinking about your family and your future. And real estate is just my vehicle of choice to do that. Um, if you wanna get started in real estate, you have to just start learning. You have to learn your local market. You have to learn the market you're going to invest in. I mean, money's cheaper than it's ever been right now like I just saw two point six percent for a fifteen year mortgage and two point nine percent for a thirty, which is under three, and that's like unprecedented for a thirty year mortgage so
0: yeah that's crazy low so i, I did look into um bigger pockets I was reading a lot of their stuff uh, a few years ago I was really interested I was trying to come up with a way to you know take control of finances and um I remember reading about OPM, other people's money, and yeah, yeah. what are your thoughts on that I, for, for getting started?
1: Personally, I, I love it. I, I mean, you—if if you grow your real estate business and start acquiring properties, like you're eventually going to run a run into a sticking point where you can't get any more lending for whatever reason it is, right? So, like the sweet spot to have in your personal name as far as mortgage is is somewhere not exceeding. Like four mortgages, because if in your personal name, you can run up to ten, to include like and and I'm, when I say this, any Freddie type loans, government backed securities, mm-hmm. and and ones that you would go put your own credit and your own debt and equity on to purchase, right? Those are the ones that you're going to get the two point nine percent rate on. So they're they're advantageous. They're the best rates out there. Um, Now, I would suggest if you're going to put four in your name that you go buy. Your primary residence is counted as one of those if you own it. So you you have the opportunity to put three investment properties in your own name if you have enough debt to income. And I would suggest doing multi-doors because the doors don't matter. It's the mortgages. And so... You get the same mortgage for a single family home like your house that you live in as you would a fourplex. So, four doors and under qualify for those government backed normal residential mortgages. So, if you think about it that way and you could go buy four or let's say three fourplexes and your home, you'd have 12 rentals and your own personal mortgage in your advantageous 2.9% 30-year mortgages.
0: So that's why multiple doors per address basically is more advantageous.
1: Oh for sure, for yeah. sure. I uh, always wondered
0: about that. It makes sense.
1: Now, it depends on what your goal is though, cuz like I've got a bunch of single family houses and they appreciate at a crazy rate. Like we own eight in one town that did 11% last year. Wow, so that that portfolio of eight uh, homes, their value went up by 11 percent last year alone, and so that's another one of the ways that you're accumulating wealth with your your portfolio. So, like just for simple numbers, the the national average, and this doesn't happen in every market, but your homes appreciated about five to six percent a year nationally. And so, if if you use that metric and you have a million dollar portfolio it's going up $50,000 every single year just by you holding on to it. So those are unrealized gains right now because you haven't liquidated the portfolio or sold it off. But if you hold that for 10 years, it's a $1.5 million portfolio now. And you go to sell it and you get $500,000 in gains just from holding it. That's
0: impressive. So uh, let's look at like 2008 when the market crashed. Is it just a matter of being in a financial place where you don't have to uh, liquidate your assets if something goes wrong because the market may be up or down. I think a lot of people
1: fear that. Yeah, for sure. What happened in 2008 is everybody was over leveraged and And so so they had like (laughs) 90% loans, like debt to equity on the property. So they were really thin in their margins because they were just lending all over the place. And, and so guys got foreclosed on notes, got called, everything hit the market. Now that what we're going through right now is completely different than that. Right. Like home sales are like spot on what they were a year ago. There's 2.5% more deals went under contract this month than a year ago this month. So the market is not going anywhere this time. There's not going to be any deals this time. And, um, The main point I was making about that fourplex versus single family homes and when we got into appreciation conversation, single family homes appreciate much more than a duplex, a triplex, and a quad. So, like, if you grab a quad, you're going into it understanding that it's not going to appreciate very quickly, 1% to 2% a year maybe, but you're buying it for cash flow. I was going to say the cash flow is, like, double. Yes. More doors. Yeah. So if 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 in whatever town you're in, you could buy a fourplex for two hundred thousand dollars, and it kicks off, let's say, seven fifty a door in rent, then you're talking about three thousand dollars of income. So that's going to take care of your note. It's it's going to definitely pay your mortgage, and then it, and then you can decide, and you can move some levers if you want. Like if you just want to hold on to those and then pay off that building, you you just pump all your earned income into that $200,000 debt. Well, you would have actually only pulled 160 on it because you're going to put about 25% down or 20, 25% down. Once you pay it off though, then it gives your family $3,000 a month tax-free. And so there's $36,000 and you're that much closer to your freedom number. It's a long game, uh, it, it, for sure. It is a long game, but it always depends on what you want to do. So like the simple math you, most people use is go buy 10 houses, pay them off, work your day job, pay them off, use the rent that you're receiving to reduce the note even further, and then those should cash flow $1,000 a door, and you're doing $10,000 a month, and you're done. You can retire with whatever,
0: yeah. Or whatever your your goal is, right?
1: Right. Now, some of that is a little dicey. I mean, it's just that you'll hear people say that, but uh, in some of these municipalities and these cities, the taxes are the taxes are rising so quickly that you can't keep up with like rent increases versus tax increases. So that was
0: another question: is is market to market's got to be quite different? I mean, you're in the Houston area. Um, I'm sure that uh, Texas is much different than, uh, what was the previous state you were in? Illinois. Yeah. I bet that was a completely
1: different, completely different, probably night and day. It is. It's night and day. Um, I mean, they, they do things differently. They're very tenant friendly mm-hmm. up there and the land don't have many rights. And so it's hard to, it's, it's more difficult to make money in markets like that. Like if you went into New York or LA, you know yeah. they're, they're terrible.
0: So it's it, there's again, be
1: diligent in your research up front. Plan yeah. Yeah. well. You want to choose markets you can make money. Like there's cheap houses in the Midwest, but they don't appreciate at six percent. So if you're if you're trying to go for that appreciation play and you're buying in Indianapolis, that I mean they they're cheap, they're hundred thousand dollar houses or whatever, but like you're not going to be gaining 6% a year or 11% a year in those marketplaces. Okay. So you just have to study your market and decide what you want to tolerate. Like, I'm okay with buying property anywhere if you've got a management company in place that you trust and things like that. But some people are not okay with being like out of state owners.
0: Right. And that was my, actually my next question is, is what about out of state? If there's a really great state, you've done all your research, you found a place where the appreciation is great. And you know, the, uh, the prices are good. Like you find the, the grail, the Holy grail, right? Like the risk there is you're not there. Now you use management companies for all your rentals.
1: Not for all of them, but for about half right now we do, and then we will for the whole. Like obviously, the apartments down in Corpus will be managed. Like, um, but it it just depends, and you have to interview those guys like just as thoroughly as you would employee coming on, right? Yeah, I
0: mean they're in charge of making sure your house is maintained, your property, right? Yeah, there's a lot of trust that goes into that. Okay.
1: So if you don't want, I mean, like, that's the way I'm describing is like, get your hands dirty, learn the lesson, understand, like, it's a whole new industry for people. And you have to understand that you're opening a business and you need to run it like a business. And and that's how you'll be successful in it. And I mean, other ways to invest are like, there's apartment syndications, Grant Cardone's taking money all the time. And like, so if you want to just, throw your money at apartment syndications, which is what we did down in Corpus. We raised capital to purchase and rehab that deal. And, and you write up a, I mean, the the lawyers write up essentially a business plan on what is going to get put out. And it's a, it's a private placement memorandum, a PPM. That's what you review if you're interested in investing in real estate. And, when you passively invest like that you're actually buying shares of the property so it is another way to really leave a legacy for your family because as long as you stay in that deal your family owns that business and if you consider like a 100 unit apartment complex a business and there's five people involved in it your business or your family owns 20% if you're if if you're equal partners and so it, but then you receive quarterly dividends from that property just like a business gotcha that's really cool so that's a different way to get involved that you don't have to do all the nitty gritty legwork cuz like you may not want to be involved in rehab you may not want to be involved in the lease up like all of that stuff that goes along with it yeah yeah, yeah. i mean being a, a single family landlord can be quiet and not have anything go wrong, or it can be a nightmare where you're hearing from your tenant all the time, things like that. So you can find reasonable management companies, though, even if you want your hands off of it and don't want to be the landlord. It makes you a faster investor to bring in management because then you're not tying up your time. We talk about focus and stripping away all the noise. Like You don't want to be taking calls about a leaky toilet like you're on to your next deal, identifying and working on the rehab and the hold or whatever. Once right. you're going at a quick rate. That's,
0: that's great advice. So um, I, I want to ask one more question. Um, if you were to suggest to um, men in our group or anybody listening that does not currently have a good morning routine, what is like the most important thing that you think is, is part of that? Like just pick one. I know there's a
1: bunch. Hmm um i would say it, like waking up at a consistent time i mean that's the number one thing and then i journal before i turn on any devices yep and uh, i like that the, the leaving the devices off until you have a certain
0: uh a, a certain amount of steps that's yeah. what mine is like you, you just
1: kind of don't engage um, the three things that i never miss are waking up at the same time I drink a glass of water before I get out of bed and then I journal before I turn on anything. And those are the three that i never miss. I've I've played with other stuff that I've introduced and like some of it sticks, some of it doesn't. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a good point
1: in the morning at all. Like that's not me. I uh, can't like sit down and read a book right after I wake up. So.
0: (laughs) Right. You got to find what works for you for sure. Well, awesome, Jeff. Um, we'll put your uh, we'll put your contact or whatever you wish to share in our show notes. Thank you very much for spending time with us today. We really value your insight on real estate, raising kids without a father uh, figure of your own, and. Um, Hey, guys, if you uh, enjoyed today's podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Super important, super helpful to us. Spread the word. And if you like what the Brotherhood of Fatherhood is doing, uh, jump on our Facebook group, Brotherhood of Fatherhood, and uh, answer a few questions and we'll let you right in and you can get some great access to great conversations and content. Thank you for joining